Hi, I'm Xi. I am a senior classification advisor at the office, and uh, today we are very lucky to have two guests. So I'm Dr. Aaron Drummond. Uh, I'm a senior lecturer at Massey University, who's doing research into uh, loot boxes. And I'm Dr. Jim Saw. I'm a senior lecturer at the University of Tasmania in Australia. Before we get into, I guess, the more substantive parts of the conversation, just really briefly, for those of you who haven't uh, kept up with the news, uh, what is a loot box? So a loot box is a digital container of randomised rewards that can be found in some video games. Quite often, these things will be purchasable for real-world money, and um, it will contain sort of a randomised item, sometimes that players want and other times that players uh, don't want so much. Why are we talking about them? Like, why are you doing research into loot boxes? So one of the, the key things about loot boxes is the, the randomised nature of the rewards in the loot boxes. And so because it's randomised what you're going to get, and sometimes it's going to be something that players are highly desirable or are highly valuable items and other times it isn't, bears a striking resemblance to more traditional forms of gambling. Um, and so we're conducting research to investigate whether that is a problem for players. Reward systems in video games, and those are those in general, and loot boxes in particular, they come in a number of different shapes and forms. But one of the things that, that Aaron and I noticed when we started looking at this, and we're not, not the first people to notice it, but we're the first to kind of publish a paper on it, is that some of these loot box systems sort of bear some striking similarities to the key kind of psychological criteria for gambling activities, and also tend to distribute the rewards in a way that again is very similar to conventional forms of gambling you know taking taking some valuable rewards and some not so valuable rewards and kind of distributing them in a sort of a, ostensibly random pattern so you never quite know when you're going to get that next big shiny win and we know that that kind of distribution of rewards keeps people engaging with the mechanisms so we saw that we thought yeah, there's reason here to be interested in how engaging with these mechanisms is going to affect players. What are those psychological similarities between loot boxes and gambling? There's kind of a couple of levels at which we can answer that question. I think we'll start broad and then we'll talk about some specific criteria. So broadly speaking, it comes back to a really fundamental principle in psychology and learning called operant conditioning. Now, operant conditioning is something that we're all sort of intuitively familiar with. It's the idea that if you want somebody to repeat a behavior, you give them a positive reward. If you want somebody to stop repeating a behavior, you give them a negative consequence. So the idea that rewards will increase the likelihood that a behavior will be repeated, that's pretty intuitive. There's nothing too controversial about that. The most interesting thing, though, is that when it comes to encouraging the kind of rapid uptake of behaviors and frequent repetition of behaviors, the most effective way to reward that behavior is not to reward every time the behavior takes place. It's to reward on what we call a variable ratio reinforcement schedule, which is on average, the behavior might be rewarded once every 10 times, okay? But you never know exactly when the next reward's coming. So it might be after two goes, then it might be 17 goes, then it might be five, then it might be three, then eight. And what this means is that the player never knows when they're getting the next win, but they feel like every time they do the thing and don't get the reward, they're one step closer to the next win. And so reward systems in video games, particularly a lot of loot boxes, use this variable ratio reinforcement. You know, you never know when you're getting the next really good prize. And that is one of the core mechanisms that guides most conventional forms of gambling. You know, this idea, it, 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 the poker machines, slot machines, the same thing. 
Yeah, so I mean, the other thing that um, not all versions of operant conditioning are gambling, and so there's some other key criteria that are really important to consider. And so um, there has to be sort of an exchange of money or valuable goods in order for something to be gambling, um, which obviously if loot boxes are purchasable for real-world money, in those cases that is occurring. Um, there needs to be sort of an unknown future event, so you can't know what's coming when you go uh, and engage with the activity. Um, chance needs to be involved, so it can't be a game of skill. Um, Non-participation can avoid incurring uh, losses, so you can opt out of this kind of um, system. You don't have to participate. Um, and then the idea that winners have to gain something at the sole expense of losers is a really important criteria. And so in the terms of, of loot boxes, this is not true for all loot boxes. Some are going to give you kind of cosmetic rewards that don't necessarily alter the game all that much. But in other cases, what we saw is that some games have these uh, rewards that are going to give you a competitive advantage against other players in future games. And so you are definitely gaining something at the expense of other players. The reason we're talking about these issues, right, is that the gaming community actually first raised this idea that loot boxes, you know, might not be cool. And then some politicians around the world kind of took notice. And, and we thought, well, you know, we can do some science to this problem and try to understand what's going on. And, and so... Because of the apparent similarities with gambling, we thought, well, it's, it's worth being interested in this issue, you know, and at the time, we didn't necessarily know. And to be fair, we're still not sure how long-term engaging with these loot box mechanisms affects players, but we've got enough reason to think that it's worth investigating because of those parallels to conventional forms of gambling. Do all loot boxes that are in all video games, do they fulfil these criteria? No, I mean, when we looked at this, around half of the loot boxes that we looked at um, in 2016-2017 uh, would fulfil these criteria and sort of the other half didn't. Um, most notably, like, not all loot boxes are purchasable for real-world money. Some you can just earn in-game, you, you don't buy them for real money. Um, and in a lot of cases, they're not giving players a competitive advantage. They're just going to give cosmetic rewards to players. So in those cases, we thought that they, uh, they didn't approximate gambling as closely. But there's still reason to believe that they're going to affect behaviour. I mean, they're being incorporated in games as a, a way of driving engagement. And they're probably going to increase people's sort of engagement with these reward structures. And I guess one other thing to note is, yeah, there's, these loot boxes exist on a continuum in terms of, the, you know, the sorts of criteria, they, 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 the criteria that they meet and the way they try to engage with players. But So while about half of them met all five of the psycholo psychological criteria for gambling, one of the other things that, that we found when we sort of had a look at this is that there's this, there's this kind of sixth criteria, and it's not a psychological criteria, but it tends to factor into legal definitions of gambling. And that's the idea that you've got to be able to cash out your winnings and we actually found that there are a number of loot box mechanisms for which players can take the virtual items they've won and trade those or sell those for real world currency on third party marketplaces. So not all loot boxes, but some loot boxes not only meet the psychological criteria for gambling, they also offer players the opportunity to, to on-sell their winnings for, for real world currency, which again is one of those important similarities between other forms of gambling behavior. Yeah, and we found that was the case for about one in five um, loot box systems. So um, that was concerning to us. In, in lots of cases, this is done on like a third-party website that's not endorsed by the company that sort of publishes the game. Uh, but in some, so at least one case that we observed, it was sort of done through the website that you would purchase the game. So that's sort of a tacit endorsement on that uh, sort of behaviour. If people can make money, what kind of, I guess, what kind of magnitude of money are we talking about here? 
So the rewards vary in how much they can be sold for. Um, certainly in some of these games, we're observing quite extreme sums of money. So we have seen rewards that have been sold on uh, the Steam marketplace for you know $1,000 US, um, so sort of $1,500 in terms of New Zealand currency. So that's quite a large amount of money, and that's one of the key things that differentiates um, these loot boxes from other activities like you know, lucky dips and those kind of things is that the rewards you get out of lucky dips tend to be quite small and they're not very valuable whereas here what we're seeing is that players can potentially win rewards that are worth quite a substantial amount of money and sometimes in some cases not quite so much money right there's a whole bunch of other you know colorfully referred to as vendor trash that might sell for sort of you know 50 cents or something right but yeah at that upper end these are really valuable items you know mm. and, and i guess that's one of the things that that might not be obvious to people who, who, who don't game, who, who aren't familiar with the kind of gaming community, is that although these things are virtual and really exist only in the game, they can still have enormous value to players. Mm. And that can translate into people being prepared to pay large sums of money to obtain them. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of, you know, not wanting to harp on the issue, but it's kind of important to realise that this is, this is not just pixels we're talking about. These things matter enough to the players in the community that they're worth real cash. We're talking about loot boxes being linked to gambling and problem gambling. I was just wondering, how would you define when gambling becomes a problem? Is that something that there's a neat definition for, I guess? Yeah, so there are some established sort of scales out there um, that define sort of problem gambling. And it's, it's largely to do with the harm that gambling can have upon people's lives. So they're things like... Um, if people have lost more money um, than they were able to actually afford to lose in the last 12 months when it starts to cause relationship problems, uh, those kind of things, um, mental health issues that might be uh, associated with problem gambling, that's when you start to see that gambling turns from like a hobby into a, a problematic engagement. And um, what we are seeing more and more now, there's been a number of studies that have shown that people who have those kind of problematic gambling symptoms, they tend to spend more on these kind of loot boxes than people who don't have problem gambling symptoms. Is the link stronger between different groups in society? So the link tends to be pretty consistent ac across groups. One of the really interesting things is that it looks like the effects on adolescents are about twice as strong as the effects on sort of older people. And this probably reflects the fact that, you know, adolescents are still developing their frontal lobe and their inhibitory control. Um, so they tend to be more vulnerable to these things. This is one of the reasons that gambling is restricted to people under the age of 18. So we tend to see the, the association with loot boxes again being strong among those people. So there's reason to be concerned and um, certainly kind of be thinking about whether it's appropriate for adolescents to be engaging with these loot box systems. Jim, you talked a little bit about the legal definition mm -hmm. of you know, of gambling being to do with being able to cash out, basically, and then the psychological definition of gambling. I was just wondering, the ability to cash something out for a lot of money, does it have a lot of effect in terms of loot boxes on players and consumers? Right. So the, the shortest answer to that is, I don't think we know yet. I, I think that certainly, um, and, and I'm not a legal scholar, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a psychologist, so I'm interested in effects on behaviour, not so much legal definitions, but... Um, in, in terms of the ability to classify a, a behaviour as gambling, the ability to cash out is important. In terms of what effect it can have on the players and the way they engage with the mechanisms, we, we don't know yet. But what we do know is that things can be incredibly valuable to people without having a cash value. You know, the ability to, to cash something out is not a prerequisite for something to be valuable enough to affect someone's behaviour. Even in situations where loot boxes, where there isn't the opportunity for players to, to take what they've won from a loot box and turn it into a, into a cash sum, 
I, I think the, the literature in, in a variety of areas is probably clear enough that that doesn't mean that, it, that the mechanism can't have a significant effect, either on how much people are prepared to, how long they play, or how much they're prepared to spend on loot boxes in the pursuit of a particular reward. Just to add to that, I'd say that also our, our colleague David Zendel in the UK has a publication forthcoming that shows that, at least in his sample, he observed no differences between players who were able to cash out and those that weren't. So um, the relationship between problem gambling symptoms and spending on loot boxes was not affected by whether the players were able to cash out, at least in that one sample. That's something that needs to be replicated. We need to see whether that sort of extends across different countries. But certainly um, the, the early evidence suggests that that cash out is not necessarily important for the behavioural um, engagement that we're seeing. What kind of drew you personally to, to looking at loot boxes? Both Jim and I are sort of um, gamers from way back. We, we've played video games for a long time. Uh, we're interested in these things. And um, I guess when the gaming community started to be interested in whether or not this was a, a gambling activity, we also became interested in it. And we were really surprised by some of those mm. findings, in particular that we had no idea that you could cash out a number of these items for the amount of money that um, we're talking about. Um, so I guess that's sort of where our interest stems from, is kind of from, both from a hobby um, aspect, but also um, from a psychological science aspect, we're interested in what influences human behaviour, and so in a range of domains, that's been interesting to us. So Aaron and I have been mates since way back, right? Like we did our PhDs together back in the day, and um, we started a little bit of work years ago on, on video game stuff in general, you know, because we're gamers, we're interested. And I can actually remember, because Aaron's in New Zealand, I'm in Tasmania, you know, we have a Skype once a week where we talk about science and this, that, and the other. And I can remember the Skype where... Um, the gaming community had just sort of gone up in arms about um, the, the loot box mechanisms in Star Wars Battlefront 2, right? Mm. And I think the, the governor of Hawaii had started a sort of had started talking about it in the media and how, you know. He famously said it was a Star Wars themed casino. That's right, yeah. And I can remember us having our Skype like the next morning. I'm like, dude, did you see, you know, did you see this thing? And, um, and Aaron was like, yeah. And we, we sort of talked a bit about it and then we thought, Look, the, the links here to other forms of gambling s seem kind of obvious. This is probably worth looking at. And Aaron came up with the idea, I reckon we can write something sensible about this. So we did, and that's where it kind of kind of came from. So basically just being gamers and being interested in gamer stuff and then thinking, yeah, we can do some science to that. How long do you think that, I mean, you talked a little bit about gamers getting up in arms. How long do you think this issue has been bubbling away for? Well, it's been bubbling away for a while. The, the first time we saw a loot box in um, kind of, I guess, mainstream game was back in 2010. It didn't really get up to, uptaken by other games for a number of years. And it wasn't really until 2016, 2017 that it, the practice of including them in mainstream mm -hmm. games exploded. And that's where we saw over pretty much overnight the number of loot boxes in conventional games doubled, kind of a two-year period. Uh, so I, I think that it's reached that, that peak where it started to, to happen around 2016, 2017, and that's when gamers started to become wary of it. I think a lot of gamers would like to be able to buy their games and, and not have to pay additional money for randomised rewards, and that seems to be a, a common theme among the community. And I think that will be a theme continuing onward from here as well. Yeah, and I think that this is, this is an important thing to, to kind of note, that certainly we, and I think gamers in general, they don't begrudge paying for additional content. And the idea of including reward mechanisms in games is not a problem either. But I, th I think gamers are unhappy to have to purchase the opportunity to win something they want rather than being able to actually purchase the reward they want. And again, from a psychological perspective, we think that when you're getting people to pay money 
for a randomized outcome that's determined by chance and delivered on that kind of variable ratio reinforcement schedule, we think there's enough psychological reason there to be interested, particularly when this is available to underage gamers. We're talking a lot about chance and about opportunities. I was just wondering if you guys had a ballpark idea of what uh, your chances might be of getting an item. I know that this is such a generic question across so many different types of games, but what are the percentages we're really talking about here? That's a really good question and we don't really know the answer to it. I think if you look at some games, the most valuable rewards tend to turn up in kind of 1% maybe of loot boxes. But again, like that's those are guesstimations that are being put forward by people who buy loot boxes to try and find out how many um, you know, win. So we don't really know. We do know that many games companies are talking about um, now disclosing the odds of winning, which will give us some idea. Uh, but you know, until that happens, it's, it's very difficult to know. You can watch loot box opening videos on YouTube, but of course those can present a distorted perception of how likely you are to win the shiny good prize. You know, so as Aaron said, we're really, we're we're really waiting on the developers to start publishing those those odds of winning the the different categories of reward, and then hoping that those are a reasonably accurate representation of of, of what actually happens. Yeah. For someone who is out there and who's listening to this and they're kind of like, oh, I don't know, maybe my kid's playing uh, something with loot boxes in it or like someone has played a game with loot boxes in it. What kind of advice would you give to someone in that situation? So I think one of the most important things here is for parents to, to understand that these mechanisms exist and be aware that they are can be incorporated in games. And I guess the best defense we have for this kind of thing is to have good consumer awareness of what's going on in games. So you know, talk to your kids, find out what they're playing, ask them to show you what kind of reward structures are in the game, what they can you know, buy or not buy in the stores, so that you have an understanding of what is there. And then you can make a sensible decision about whether it's appropriate for your kids to be engaging in that kind of behavior. I think for you know adults, if you are aware that you have sort of problems and you tend to not do very well when when you're around gambling, you have problems limiting your kind of behaviour. Be aware that loot boxes approximate that kind of behaviour, and perhaps um, that will help you make a sensible decision about whether you should engage with this kind of behaviour as well. Aaron's hit the nail on the head there. It's it's, it's largely about uh, helping people to make informed decisions, because you know as I said before, as psychological scientists, we look at these reward delivery mechanisms and we see the way they approximate other gambling behaviours. You know, it's kind of, it's obvious to us, but it's not going to be obvious to everybody, right? Because for a lot of people, it's just a, it's a reward system in a video game. So I think getting that information out there and helping people understand, look, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but you need to know this is what these mechanisms are. This is how they operate. The effects of these kind of mechanisms in other domains tend to look like this, and that helps people better appreciate how the how the reward systems are working and how they should engage with those reward systems. Occasionally there'll be these news stories about um, children who or adolescents who rack up huge credit card bills um, on their, their parents' credit cards. One of the reasons that this can occur is because many of the game systems, even iPads and those kind of things, can store your credit card details and make it very easy to purchase. So if you are concerned about that kind of thing, have a look and make sure that your credit card details aren't saved in a way that allows people that are using your devices to purchase things without authentication. Um, and that will just sort of limit the ch chances that you, know, you end up with a huge bill that you weren't sort of sure was going to happen. Tell me a little bit of the different ways in which players can buy loot boxes in their various forms. 
So loot boxes, uh, there's a number of ways that people can get or buy loot boxes. Some games allow you to earn loot boxes just by playing, it's probably not too much of an issue. When we start to see people buying loot boxes with real world money that they start to be a little bit more likely to cause things like financial harms because then people can actually spend real world money on them. And in those situations there's a couple of ways that people can go about buying them. Quite often it's through um, the stores that they're associated with, so just by using credit cards that might be tied to a game system or by entering another credit card. But the other key way is through gift cards. So if someone can buy gift cards in stores or otherwise you know, be given gift cards or those kind of things, they're going to have credit on those stores and then they can use those to buy loot boxes as well. So um, that's another thing for parents to be aware of. So the one thing, the one thing I, I, I would mention, just because I think it's important when we're talking about the effects of engaging with video games. I think there's a tendency for a moral panic around video games, right? The violent video games make people psychopaths and all this jazz, right? And I think people can can kind of can take things and run with it before that's warranted. And I think we have to be careful here with with reward systems and video games and loot boxes and think carefully about how we're gonna how we're gonna help people make good decisions and how we're gonna protect the vulnerable populations, you know, the people who might encounter problems from these kind of mechanisms you know and it's important to note that this issue it's moved incredibly fast but it's still a fairly young area of research and so we don't yet know what the the shorter or the long-term consequences of people engaging with loot boxes are so we probably want to think about you know how we can support people to make good decisions and, and which which audiences we might need to direct our efforts toward you know and i think that the biggest thing is we've kind of talked about here is, is helping people make informed decisions, being aware that people who have, so, so the data that, that we have and that others have published in the literature suggests that people who have pre-existing tendencies towards problem gambling tend to be disproportionately affected by loot boxes or, or disproportionately likely to overspend on loot boxes. And we probably want to think to the extent that these things approximate other forms of gambling, we might want to limit the exposure of underage gamers to the mechanisms in the same way that we limit the exposure of underage people to traditional forms of gambling activity. We probably don't want to jump the gun and just ban things outright because that can have a whole bunch of unintended consequences. Um, but we want to think about yeah, how we help people make good decisions and who we need to target those interventions towards. That would be my advice.